you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast can be heard on the Farm and Rural Ag Network along with lots of other great agricultural podcasts. We're changing it up a little bit today and we are going to talk tech. Our guest is Tony Meeks. Tony is the digital project manager with a company here in Waterloo called Agnition. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Tony, you look like a strapping farm boy. <laughs> That's fairly accurate. Yeah, but, but you don't work in farming these days. No. Uh, so, I grew up on a family farm closer towards Belleville, Ontario, basically. We're halfway between Coburg and, and Belleville, uh, and we have... A 1,500-acre cash crop farm, so we do corn, soybeans, and wheat. We actually used to be a tobacco farm before the tobacco industry shut down. Just but, help, help us with Coburg a little bit. What's the nearest big city so that would know? The Big Apple on the 401, which is Colburn, Ontario. Oh, not the Big Apple in New York. No, the Big Apple on the 401. You drive right. by it, big red ball, everybody sees it. Yeah, we're uh, 10 minutes north of that. Pretty good cash crop land through there. Yeah, it's, it's sandy, so you have to play with that a little bit, uh, but it is a good, a good area to, to farm for sure. When you were growing up, like, what was your job? Like in the spring, did you have to get out on the disc with no cab on the tractor? <laughs> I did a little bit of tractor driving from a young age, but ended up usually doing more of the tasks around the farm. So during harvest, it was, you know, manning the, the unloader and, and a lot of the tasks around there while my dad handled a lot of the infield stuff. And then sometimes, you know, you have to do some of the transport back and forth between the fields. So a lot of that. But I actually, you know, growing up, I had less of an interest uh, in the farm activities. And um, I had a, an uncle actually who was in the, the tech industry always kept us fairly supplied with, you know, whatever his computer, you know, his oldest computer, he'd always pass it on to us. So I always ended up having a computer at home that kept more of my attention than than what was going on outside some days. Right. So frame of reference, you were a millennial. Yep. Clearly, you would have been in public school in the early 2000s? Late 90s. Late 90s. Okay. What was the big computer craze in the late 90s? Oh, man, when I was in public school, it was all about Oregon Trail. Oregon Probably Trail. Probably never played that, but kids in my class loved it, right? The thing was, you're using internet connections that were, at best, dial-up if your school had one. And I think we had, if I remember correctly, we had internet access, but we were a small, rural school that, you know, from a technology standpoint, you had... You had computers where you would you might use paint or you might they might do some really really small activities but there wasn't a ton done on computers okay and so you had a computer class in high school Mm -hmm. and that caught your interest oh yeah yeah so high school was kind of my first exposure to uh, formalized education around computers computer programming outside of what i had learned at home that's where i learned a little bit of you know basic programming like how to make a website and you know how to how to actually tear your computer apart and put it back together and so there was some really good instruction there that really piqued my interest in in what was going on at that time okay now true confession time were you part of the av squad i wasn't actually i was a student government member wow i have a really mixed background i was kind of all over the place but at this point computers were starting to be cool right no, I don't think we were quite there yet. It wasn't necessarily the cool kids were on the computers. Um, it was still 
I won't call it a fringe interest, but there's still a lot of people who just, you know, didn't have an interest in computing at that level. You know, more people were interested in how to text on their phones. Because then when I was going through high school, that's when mobile phones, there's more interest in, in that type of electronic than, you know, your computers and, and programming and stuff like that. There's still people that think that the whole computer and, and mobile phone thing is just a fad. That's gonna Oh, it's definitely just a fad for sure. <laughs> okay. So then take us through that whole timeline. The thing about computers is that everything moves so fast. And so if you're going to get an education on in computers, where did you go to school? I went to school uh, at the University of Guelph for business, agricultural business, oh, actually. Okay. So this is, that's kind of where my uh, agricultural background comes into play again a little bit. I kind of mix my uh, my experience uh, between three fields, a little bit of agriculture, a little bit of business, and a little bit of technology. And it's a jack of all trades among those three. So fairly typical areas. story. Kid grows up on a farm, has an interest in agriculture, doesn't know exactly what he wants to do, mm -hmm. goes to Guelph. Do you have family at home on the farm still? Yes. So my father's still running the farm. Uh, my sister, who went to Guelph before me, uh, is at home on a dairy farm. So there's there's still very close ties to farms, actually. So when you're at Guelph and you're going through egg business, where does the computers come into it? <laughs> well, from from a formal aspect, it didn't a lot, except for I, you know, I took some electives to to kind of keep pushing down down that route. But it was more of an experience to learn more about um, business processes and and I want to say how agriculture kind of ties in from a business standpoint. I went to school for agricultural business. I actually started in a straight business program and switched to an agricultural program through con some convincing from my sister, actually. And so it really was more dedicated to those topics. But what ended up happening is, you know, my natural affinity for technology, I ended up being everybody's IT person. I'd often get called in to, you know, a neighbor's house or friend's house or, or something, and they might have a computer issue, and I'd, you know, volunteer for that. Each graduating class at that point in time managed a website. And we needed somebody to manage the website, so, you know, I jumped on that opportunity. So I noticed throughout uh, university that there was a lot of applications for me to apply the technology skills that I had. And technology means different things to different people. Absolutely. For me, if I have an IT problem, you know, I kick my printer to work. You know, <laughs> I need my computer guy. Well, I'm not going to go to the programmer and ask him to come fix mm -hmm. my computer. So when people think about what a computer guy does, see, I don't even know the title. I don't even they know fix the problems. problems. Right. Computer guys fix problems. Yeah. That's all. Uh, and you're right. Most people, when they're dealing with their technology, it's it's an issue that they're dealing with specifically, be it hardware or software or something, but it's usually, you know, I can't get this to work. And that's definitely not generally at a programming level. It's, you know, it's a setup or functional level. And that's definitely, there, there's two different things there between the programming aspect and the daily functional aspect of how technology works. Right. And the programmers are the guys that take an idea. Mm -hmm. Somebody says, here's an application that we can come up with. We want to figure out how to more precisely map fields and get fertilizer application so that we save inputs. Great idea. That has to then go to a programmer. So you've got your, you know, your strategists or whatever who, or architect would be the, the proper uh, term for it. So you've, you've got a, a software architect who conceptually creates the idea and kind of put more meat to it. 
Uh, and once you have the idea form, that goes across to your programmer who then understands how it's going to be built and put it, puts it together that way. Once you get out of Guelph, did you go right to Ignition or was there some sort of steps along the way? Yeah, so right out of school, I actually worked for uh, Farms.com and did about, just about two years there with them. Again, they drew my attention right away because, you know, it's, it's a technology company in agriculture. This is exactly where I want to be. So I worked with them for a little, bit, little while and wanted to kind of expand my own experience and ended up moving to AdFarm. So a marketing agency, which was completely different just to get the kind of the marketing experience and background. And that was a good opportunity, but was only a one-year contract. After my contract expired with AdFarm, I had been in, in talks with Ignition. And a friend of mine had actually been talking with Peter Gredig, who is one of the two co-owners at Ignition, and um, had suggested my name as, you know, I've got a buddy. He's really interested in technology. I think they were on a flight or something like that talking. So, you know, you get a couple hours to chat together. So Peter ended up getting a hold of me and saying, you know, let's sit down and, and have a chat. And so we ended up chatting for a little while on different technology uh, bits. And we came, we, we were in agreement with a lot of stuff. And so they said, you know, come around, let's look at doing some work together. And that's kind of how I got my start with Ignition. And Okay, let's talk about Ignition for a little bit. So Ignition would be considered a tech startup company, early stage tech startup. How old of a company would it be? Yeah, it's kind of entertaining. So we still consider ourselves a startup because of our size, which is usually how you would classify a startup. But we've actually been around for six, I think it's six years now. So we're a little bit of a, an older company from a start, startup standpoint. Right. But a six-year-old company is an old company in the tech industry. It's, it's a very old yeah. company in the tech industry. Usually two years and you're, you're not a startup anymore. Yeah. You should be going. The way Ignition kind of developed was Peter and Rob, who's the other co-owner, um, they came up with this idea. Basically, they came up with the same idea separately and went to the same development shop to get it built. And after talking to each other, said, we have this idea. Why, why aren't we working together on this? We say an idea. Is this an idea for a computer program? Yeah, essentially. So that was just when mobile phones were becoming really popular right. in, in farming, which, you know, that's a whole topic in and of itself, how quickly farmers picked up uh, mobile technology. They noticed that and said, we need to build apps for agriculture, basically. Right. Apps, not computer programs, because the smart people would have recognized that investing your money into computer program development was not a smart idea, that everything was moving to apps. Yeah. So, I mean, in one sense, they're one and the same. An app is short for application, right? When Apple coined the phrase app, really app is just it's the short form for application. So they're they're very similar. Generally, an application is is almost just a smaller version of a computer program. Right. At least in the early days, they would have taken a program that was designed for mm -hmm. a PC and then made it mobile. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit different code in some stand, standpoints, depending on which device you're working with. But from a conceptual standpoint, it's the same thing. Okay. So what does Ignition do then? Our goal is to bring ideas to life or bring digital ideas to life. So we create digital platforms based on a concept generally that somebody brings to us. So we do, we have two streams. We have client work where we do kind of custom app development based on what their idea is. And then we also have our proprietary work. So we build our own internal projects based on ideas that we've come up with over the last period of years. So if I have an idea, say I want to build a better mousetrap, I would come to you with the concept and we would 
meet and talk about what the end product wants to look like. Yes. And you guys would go to work. Yeah. So we, we act kind of as like translators. We understand agriculture. We understand technology. We work with you to come up with the concept or work on the concept, really hammer it down basically to the actual idea. What we see with a lot of people is they kind of have a loose idea, but they're not sure where to take it or, or how to work with it. So we help them with that. And then once it's fully developed, we take that to work with our developers in actually creating the project. And then we bring it back to you once it's finalized and ready to go for, for you to, to review. So some of what you do is building apps mm -hmm. for companies that would complement products that they sell? Yeah, generally. For a few, it's kind of a mixed bag. Sometimes it's for companies on their product lines or an additional service they want to show more about. Uh, what we do find, we do a lot of work with actually the Ontario government. So uh, Mike Cobra, who, you know, he's he's the weed specialist, right? He came up, came to us one time with uh, an idea. I think this was three years ago now almost. Um, and he wanted to create an app that made pest identification really simple. So over, you know, the course of a year, we basically developed Pest Manager, which I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that app. It essentially, it's a quick visual ID of pests, and then it also, based on 30 years of trial data, tells you what the best product is. So he has this stuff already in a book, basically, which is a great book, but this essentially creates the material in, a, in another format, a digital format that you always have access to as long as you have your, your smartphone. So it can go it can go a variety of ways. A lot of the stuff we do is, is informational, and it could be about product lines. It could be all kinds of different information put into, into an app. Cool. Tell us about your work environment. When you go in in the morning, like what does your office space look like and, and how does the team function? Yeah. So we're still we're still a very small team really. Right now we're based out of the Accelerator Center in Waterloo, which is essentially a business incubator. We decided we wanted to go there to build our business uh, processes. Right. And, and for people that aren't from this area, the Waterloo region is generally considered sort of a Silicon Valley north. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of tech companies. The University of Waterloo is here and kids come out of the University of Waterloo and they have a really, really good understanding of, of computers. Yeah, Waterloo is a big engineering school, which really promotes that. What a lot of those really smart computer kids are missing sometimes is any kind of business sense. Mm -hmm. And so there's been an initiative put in place and the Accelerator Center is a big part of that to try and match these smart computer kids with smart business people that mm -hmm. have experience and money and try and put them together and come up with some of these really cool tech startup companies that have something important to offer the market. Exactly. Yeah, There's they have the ideas. They just don't necessarily always have the skills to bring it to market. And so the Accelerator Center has been actually really good at facilitating that in a lot of cases. So we decided we it was a good opportunity for us to subject our business to that process and, and kind of put it through its paces and, and get some mentoring to really promote some of our own product lines. So we've been at we've been going through that process for the last year and a half, I think now. Agnition has a space at the Accelerator Center and there would be then numerous other tech companies yeah. doing the same kind of stuff as, as you guys are doing, developing, you know, coming up with with a newer, better mousetrap. I'm guessing there isn't too many of those companies that are directly involved in agriculture. I, I'd want to say we're the only agricultural company. Some of the companies in there have agricultural applications, but we're essentially the only agricultural company in the building. And I have some experience in the 
the whole tech startup investing thing. And there's always this question about where's the investment in agriculture? Everybody wants to look at food production. They want to look at agriculture as, you know, the next big thing. Mm -hmm. But they all want to look at technology. And there isn't that much, relatively speaking to other industries. Ag hasn't adopted apps and, and some of those things quite as quickly as some other industries have. Am I being fair in that or am I being an old codger? <sighs> There's two aspects to look at it. I think you're, you're fair from one sense in that when you look at how the business world adopted mobile technology and, and smartphones and apps, it was very quickly. It was as soon as it was available. Agriculture is always lagging when it comes to technology, and, and there's a there's a serious mindset because of it is in that generally technology is expensive. Farmers don't have the capital or the money to invest in it, especially if it's an investment that's not going to pay off, off for them. And usually we're talking new technologies that we don't know if it's going to pay off mm -hmm. or not. So farmers often take the wait and see approach, and, and that's exactly what they did with mobile technology. They took the wait and see approach. It became really popular in the business world and then moved to the, the student world where the students started to pick it up in universities and high schools and everything. And once mobile technology got that mass adoption, right after that, that phase, you kind of see it get picked up really quickly in agriculture. And once it started to get picked up in agriculture, it, it's, it, it was completely different to previous trends where you look at you know computer adoption or laptop adoption. PCs were very slow to, to grow in the agricultural market. But when you look at mobile technology, because it's inherently different in that you can keep it with you wherever you go, and farmers are never at home, they're always in the field or in the barn or whatever, farmers picked up mobile technology very, very quickly, like almost explosively, basically. I think it was maybe two years between when we started talking about mobile technology and farmers adopting it before you know, 80% of farmers had a mobile phone on them. So that's explosive growth, I think, for agriculture. Um, so on one hand... They're, they're lagging in adoption, but on the other hand, they're very quick adopters when the technology works for them. Right. It's got to be accessible. It's got to be easy, and it's got to have a real demonstrated value on the farm. Absolutely. Is most of what we're doing about collecting data? That's a big application, I think. Um, collecting data in some standpoints, I think you need to provide a tool first. Whatever you're providing has to have some sort of function. Generally, it seems today that most aspects of, of applying technology require collecting information. That's really what agriculture has to offer towards technology is there's all kinds of information out there in the field, in the barn, and farmers are gathering it analogly. When you say analogly, what do you mean? In a non-digital format. Like writing it down in a book. In a book or in their heads. It's called pen and paper. <laughs> So they're gathering it in very standard manual methods. And the problem with that is basically in, in using that information. It's there, but you have to use it very manually. Right. If I write it down in my notebook and then I have to go to my computer and I have to then input it in, there's more of a chance that I'm not going to do that stuff. Not even getting it into your computer. Let's say you want to know something. So you've got, you know, I did this to my field or, you know, this cow's got this issue. In your own head, you're saying, okay, well, I'm seeing this. This is the outcome, and you're making a decision based on that. Farmers only have so much processing power themselves to do this. There's only so much time in a day to do these manual processes. So there's all this data out there that you could do these processes with, but you have to do it manually. What technology is offering is you take all this data, you automate the input process so that it goes into whatever your technology system is, 
and it's doing all these basic processes that farmers are are completing themselves in an automated fashion. So that means it's doing it the same way every time and it's doing it more often and you don't have to contribute any brain power to it. Right. So you still get to make the decisions. You're just working with a lot better, more organized information when you make them. Yes, exactly. Tools. Exactly. That's the line of thinking that we have when we're thinking about what tools could be brought into this market is how do we help farmers make decisions better, faster, those kinds of, and apply all these uh, those ideas to this industry. So when you're developing things, I had mentioned it earlier that the traditional sense would be develop a computer program, turn it into an app. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that when you're developing things now, quite often you're developing them as apps and they never get a computer, like an actual Absolutely. computer version. Yeah, we, we, you know, we solely focus on mobile apps, essentially. There is a, a bit of a shift in the industry now, though, in that we're moving more towards a, an integrated atmosphere. So you don't just have your app on your phone and everything's stored there. It goes into the cloud. Right, the cloud. The cloud. This sort of big storage device that nobody really owns. And everybody thinks is in the sky. Yeah, I know. When I do cloud, so you can't see this, but I put my hands over my head and I did kind of a cloud motion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's basically an integrated approach in that information is stored in the cloud so that you can access it from whatever device you need to be on. And when when we talk about the cloud, the cloud is basically just a computer somewhere that's storing that information. So there is a physical point of access to that information. Generally, today, the biggest cloud out there is, is Amazon, which is, they call it Amazon Web Services, and, and they have data centers all, all around the world. So it could be, you know, the data could be stored in, in the data center in Canada or the U.S., generally somebody, somewhere local. But the whole point is that given our capability to access the Internet from a variety of locations, you can use those tools on your mobile device to quickly access that data from anywhere. And the crotchety old man inside me thinks, you know, geez, all this information, all of my personal information that's just out there floating around, like, I kind of miss the days where if I put my notebook under my pillow, it was safe. It was safe. Yes. I personally have run across this this idea many times. I've had this discussion with my father, but we run into this this issue often with, with different farmers in the area while we're developing things. And Ignition's always had a mandate that, you know, your data is your data. We We don't have any current business models that use farmers data but there are businesses out there that make use of it and and i think there's good applications for that but there's you know it also makes sense to be concerned about it because you hear about data breaches all the time and and um, people misusing data there's two aspects to this one is what kind of data is being stored and ensuring that yes there's some personal data in there Generally, when data is being made accessible accessible to people, often it's you know at an aggregate scale rather than an individual scale. The type of data you're looking at there maybe not necessarily a huge deal. The second thing I think that's more important is you know, what is the data being used for. So as much as people are are concerned about the data that's being stored and how it's being used and and what that says. First of all, I said, why are you worried about it? Just to make sure I understand you correctly, are you trying to say that nobody would care about my personal data? Yeah, in one sense, nobody cares about anybody's personal data. The true value in data is at the aggregate scale. So where it's most useful to you is when you have data from 
1,500 farmers instead of five farmers, because what you're basically looking for is trends. If you can find trends in data, that's where your ROI is. That's where your, your return on investment is and what that data is. And, and that should be the same for farmers in that you need to figure out where the ROI is on contributing this data. And there always is a return. So what you're looking for is, is basically when you start looking at aggregate data, where the trend lines, what the trend lines are telling you and making decisions based on those trend lines. And there's companies all across this new ag tech industry that are, are very effectively using data like this and bring it back to the farmer and saying, you can make this decision based on this data that we have, and it's going to improve your farming efficiency by such and such, such and so much. That's the important aspect I think we need to focus on. Yeah, there's an inherent risk with submitting your data, but it's so much less than the opportunity of what that data is going to provide with you by contributing it. Let's get back to the app development and the business part of it for, for just a minute. When you guys build an app, then you own the app, right? No, uh, typically that's not the case. Very typically when we work with a company, so when we're, we're doing custom client work, we build the app and they own the app. We're just the facilitators to build it, manage it, and work with them to do it. So we'll build it for them. It's their app. For our own products, definitely, we own the app. And then there's a whole intellectual property rights mm -hmm. side of this. So when you build an app, if it's something that is really useful and take off, what's to prevent somebody coming in and just copying that and releasing it for half the price. There's a bit of a, a gray area here in that you can apply IP, so intellectual property uh, rights to your code. And when you look at the bigger companies that have more to lose, they're doing that. John Deere, when you look at the software they put on their tractors, there's IP all across the board on that kind of material that protects their investment in that software. The way we've looked at it is instead of trying to protect ourselves through IP, we, we try to protect ourselves by kind of staying ahead of the curve. Be the first to market. Exactly. So if you can build a product based on a strong business process, that has more application than protecting your IP. Once users start using a product, they generally like to stick with it unless there's a, a big reason for them not to. So as long as you're always innovating and you're creating a strong product, you don't have to worry so much about who's out there copying you as long as you still have a strong offering for your potential client base. To us, that has more strength than IP in some respects. But it does, it does come down to what your risk and your investment is in that, you know, that software development. And staying ahead of the market is a fragile, difficult thing to do. And, and in this local market, we have a huge example of a company that it's a matter of opinion, but perhaps got a little bit complacent. Mm -hmm. And of course, BlackBerry is, is who we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, at one time they led the mobile phone, the smartphone market. You know, they had the, the best security. They had the newest stuff. And then it, they just sort of seemed to ride that. And all at once, theirs wasn't the, the new sexy phone that everybody wanted. And look where they are today. Yeah. Well, so there's, there's two standpoints. BlackBerry is actually doing fairly well today, just not in the mobile phone market. You're talking to a guy who bought BlackBerry stock at $60. So, you know, you so from that standpoint, yeah, me. they're not great. But they've, they've changed their focus to uh, mobile software. Or not mobile software, but, uh, but software that's applied to from a security standpoint, actually. And that was their greatest strength in their product was their security. And ironically, one of the things that really hurt BlackBerry when they were 
starting to tail off was that apps weren't being developed for the BlackBerry platform. And at that time, you had a BlackBerry platform, an Apple platform, and an Android platform. And of course, now it's Android Apple. And so when you develop apps, do you have to develop two versions of those apps? Yes. Yeah, so we develop, and this is an interesting part of the agricultural industry in that we started saying we need to always develop two apps, one for Apple, one for Android. And we've gotten to a point now where we see about two-thirds of users are usually on iPhones and another third of users maybe are on Android. And we hear more from our iPhone users than our Android users. So we actually generally float a little bit more towards the iOS development than Android Android development just because that's where the marketplace seems to be. So what, what we do want to do is we want to hear more from Android users if they're out there and ensure that is there stuff that you guys want because generally what we see is we're catering more to iOS users than Android just because that's what our numbers show. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a dichotomy in the in the industry. So it's sometimes it's create two apps, sometimes it's well, we're only going to create one app because this might only be relevant to so many users. So it doesn't And make are sense. you physically working on two separate projects then or do you work on one and then input it into something that formats it for each operating system? Yeah, the way development works, you can it's called porting. So you usually we develop for one system. Uh, generally in this case it's iOS. Uh, and then we port it over to Android. And porting just basically, it reuses what code you can use automatically, essentially. And then you build out the rest manually. So it it shortens the development cycle and the development process, getting you two products a little bit quicker. Sort of like me converting an iTunes song to an MP3 mm -hmm. so that I can play it on whatever device. Along those lines. Okay. Interesting. Where are we going with this whole app thing? You know, what's what's going to be the next thing that makes my life better because I have all the apps? Yeah, I, I come back to um, integration almost uh, in that we're going to see more tools, more apps, more data at play in the market here. And you see that with the number of agricultural companies that are really getting into the tech scene. You look at, you know, Alltech, they're doing a big conference, I think it was this, this week, that has a huge technology aspect to it. Monsanto Ventures, they're pumping a ton of money into technology companies. Climate Corp is a good example. BASF. BASF's in that play as well. So there's a number of, there's a number of companies who are dropping a lot of money on technology companies essentially or technology products and that's going to have a huge play in what we're um, what we're seeing is what's available to farmers and what farmers are using and it's going to allow farmers to do a lot with very little from a, a technology standpoint and the biggest challenge is learning and getting into the mindset of utilizing those tools because they're different tools than a lot of people are used to and it can be a pretty daunting task to kind of get into that way of thinking and and learning what are the ways to make this work yeah so you look at the average age of our farmers which is around 55 right now and they're farmers who have not used technology longer than they have used technology and so we're, we're basically what we're asking them to do is change their processes completely to adopt technology and, and that's a big ask humans aren't inherently interested in change for the most part. So it, it's a big ask to, to get them to completely adapt their processes to integrate technology. What I would say is that one, always kind of look at the ROI and in what that technology 
offers you, but never be afraid of, of examining technology. It, it, there is a time commitment to it that is required to investigate it, but never be afraid of potentially implementing technology. Excellent. This is another really good example. Farm kid working in some ways about as far to the other end of the spectrum yes. from farming as it gets, and yet has a real life, real farm application. Yeah. It's funny. So the thing I saw in my farm at home was you've got a lot of man hours to put in when you're running a farm. And that's any farm across the board. Farmers put in way more time than, than a lot of industry people. And what we're trying to do, and, and personally what I look at when I'm thinking about what kind of tools we can bring to the market, is how can we automate those easy tasks, those manual tasks, and reduce the, the amount of effort farmers have to put into doing their job? Let's get rid of the, the mindless stuff, the easy stuff, and let them commit their time to the most, the most important mental activities, basically, that, that they need for decision-making on the farm, stuff like that. That's what I saw on the farm at home growing up, and, and that's kind of how I try to take my approach when we're, when we're developing technology. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. This is totally different than when we talk to people of what do you do on your farm, what kind of cows, what kind of chickens, how do you feed them, and yet it's still work that is benefiting agriculture. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us, Tony. I really enjoyed it, and I think you're doing some, some really neat stuff. Thank you, and no, thank you very much for inviting me today. This has been great. This has been the Ontario AgCast. Please go back to Twitter, give us a retweet, go back to iTunes, and give us a rating. It helps us grow the audience. And don't forget to check out all of the best ag podcasts on the Farm and Rural Ag Network. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.